0: When I look at the practices across the country that are most engaged with us and the companies that are most engaged with us, that's how the conversation starts. How could we be helping resolve what do you need in our state? What do you need in our community? What role can we play?
1: welcome to inside reproductive health the shop talk of the fertility field here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management patient relations and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field wall street and silicon valley both want your patients, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system the goal and competitive diagnostic now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
2: Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by Barbara Kalura. Barb is the president of the National Infertility Association, Resolve, and she has been since 2004. She's a nationally recognized expert on infertility and the family building journey. She's worked with the WHO on infertility definitions and clinical guidelines, the same with ACOG. And she has served a four-year term on the Advisory Council of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development at NIH. You may have seen her on places like the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox & Friends, Nightline. You may have seen her receive the Distinguished Service Award from ASRM, but you probably just know her because Barb is so passionate about Resolve's mission as the organization was a source of support and information for her during her own battle with infertility. Barb Kalura, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health.
0: Hey, Griff, thank you so much for having me. It's about time, huh?
2: It's about time, yeah, I would (laughs) say so. We sort of teased it early on in the season by having Rebecca Flick on and wanted to have you on as well because I just see so much happening from Resolve. And I think even in the time that I've been in the field your focus keeps adapting to what's happening in the moment so maybe let's start from there what's happening with resolve right now
0: well i think one of my favorite stories is really how i met you or how we met you and i <laughs> oh, think <boy. laughs> i think this is just very indicative of kind of who you are so i had just started a twitter account and my own personal twitter account that was work related <laughs> i started getting emails from you about how I was using Twitter and I was like, who, who, who are you? What, what, what are you, what should, okay, what should yeah. I be doing? And then we did a little bit of research and we're like, hey, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. We got to meet this guy. So that was how we became acquainted with you, Griff, and the work that you do, because you were already out there following us, but also looking at how we could get better. And so I really appreciate that. Yeah, Resolve is such a vital organization in this space, in the family building space. We are the oldest, the largest nonprofit profit patient advocacy organization. Many people know us because of our support groups, which we've been running now for over 40 years. Some people know us because of National Infertility Awareness Week. And then a lot of people know us because of our public policy and advocacy work, which has over our, our history, over 40 plus year history, has had some ebbs and flows. But gosh, the last couple of years, GRIP, we have been just really hitting it with a lot of new state laws, opening access for people, either fertility preservation coverage or IVF coverage. And then, of course, continuing to fight any kind of bad bills that still pop up. So we're we're really thrilled to be doing what we're doing. I really don't know anyone else in our space who's doing the kind of work that we're doing. I love the work that Resolve does. As you mentioned, it helped my husband and I so much on our journey, and it's just an honor to be able to give back every day.
2: Well, because of that, because you have so many different opportunities popping up in different states, states like New York that are so close to having a mandate, and I imagine others on the horizon, and then you just have the threat of bad bills being able to sprout up almost anywhere, and sometimes at the last minute. Have you found yourself? becoming more focused on the legislative side, on the advocacy side than previously?
0: Well, it's interesting because I, I don't know that I would really say that 10, 11 years ago, we sat down and had some strategic discussion amongst our board and our staff and said, hey, let's spend more time on advocacy work. Quite honestly, the circumstances drove us to do that and really from like 2008 until a couple of years ago so many bad bills were popping up and really griff who else is going to be out there fighting them and that was what really kept us up at night was what if one of these bills moves passes and like we don't even know about it kind of asleep at the wheel if you if, if you will so that really motivated us with such passion because no one else was stepping up. And so we did. And we were really, you know, at a point where we kind of had to do it, had to show up. And so we got, like, if you will, our legs under us and got the hang of it and started realizing. Wow, not only are we successful and are we good at this, but we really have an important voice. And so that really drove our advocacy efforts. And then so much was changing in the healthcare landscape with the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010 and not really knowing where we were going at the state level with new laws to pat new insurance laws. It was very, very quiet. And once things kind of settled down, we had a few years under our belt with Obamacare, we felt that there was was an opportunity to perhaps start moving in the direction of state legislation again in a more positive way. And we formed a coalition the Coalition to Protect Parenthood After Cancer. And it's a group of organizations committed to insurance coverage for fertility preservation for people with cancer, you know, and other conditions that treatment or that surgery or that medication that you need to take actually gonna, is going to cause infertility. So... That group said, you know what, let's just go for it. Let's see what we can do at the state level with insurance coverage for fertility preservation. And that was the year you saw Rhode Island pass, you saw Connecticut pass, and we started to realize maybe there's an appetite back in the state legislatures for insurance laws. So going into those states that already had IVF coverage, Connecticut and Rhode Island did. We then went to Maryland. We went to Illinois, we are in New Jersey, but we started going to states that had already existing IVF laws and adding, if you will, that fertility preservation. And it was, they were passing. So that gave us a lot of momentum for going to New York, which is sort of, you know, the big brass ring and looking at IVF coverage there. In the meantime, we had an advocate in Delaware who got passage of IVF and fertility preservation in the Delaware legislature. So, success, quite honestly, bred more success and it gave us the confidence that state legislatures were now open and had an appetite for passing new insurance laws. Now we're in California and we're looking at other states. So it's just, it's really exciting.
2: Does that change who you are fundamentally as an organization by virtue of having this real new focus that you have to take to task?
0: It's a great question. I, I think if you knew our history, it's just a continuation because those states that do that have had those insurance laws for IVF for many years, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maryland, Illinois, all of those were, for the most part, all of those were, are in place in large part because of resolve. And local volunteers, you know, Maryland passed first, then some a group of people in Massachusetts, got Massachusetts passed. And, and Resolve was very involved in Connecticut and New Jersey and Illinois. So that was all done many years ago. And so we are just picking up part of our mission that had been quiet in part because of forces beyond our control just uh, an appetite that didn't exist at the state level for for mandates. And then, of course, horrible Care actually really shut everything down at the state level for, for new mandates. So we wanted to. We wanted to continue that work, but it just wasn't a good environment. And so I think what you're seeing now is just us picking that up again versus starting something that's new and different. And
2: then how do you stay in the pulse of being the community though, because I always look at Resolve as, as like being just sort of the banner holder of the community. And now with social media, it's like there's there's like tons of different people in the community and different blogs and different groups and lots of different ways to, for people to connect with each other. I still, even with that, still see Resolve as sort of the banner holder, which is why I came to find you guys those years ago and why I, I still tell every client when they start with us, you need to be a professional partner of Resolve because Resolve is at the center of the community and you want to use, leverage that in a good way by also serving the community because I think it benefits you. So I, I know that you're not adding dozens of people to your staff so how do you maintain the that like core of like who you really are with all of these other all of these other things that vie for your attention
0: you know it's a great question and we i'm not going to lie it's tough and i don't, don't want to say we struggle but we are aware of that and we have to remain relevant so you use the word community, and I talk about community a great deal. I talk about community, I talk about Resolve being about connection, and we, we do view ourselves as that town square, that place where you, everybody comes, where the entire community, not just the patients, but people who are pursuing adoption, people who are healthcare providers, people like yourself who are, are, who are supporting the community. Everybody who's a part of this space, I like to say Resolve is where you're all going to come together. So yes, there's a lot of attention online and we do have a very strong online presence. And I think we're one of the largest online presence when you look at our online support community, which has about 50 or 60,000 people every day, our social media presence, our website, we're very, very active but we're also in person. So if an online support community isn't doing it for you, Resolve has actual live support groups all over the country. We've got about 250 support groups that meet every single month across the country. We have state advocacy days. We have federal advocacy days. We have walks of hope. We're not just about an online presence. We're about connecting with real people and with each other and professionals connecting with patients across the board. So that's that's how I look at what we're doing and our relevancy. You, you also brought up an interesting point about your clients and how you encourage them to become partners with Resolve. And can I just address that for a second?
2: Well, I've been, <laughs> I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it wrong. and I got to go back and... <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, I
0: want to thank you publicly because that's really amazing that you do that. And you, I, I know you do it because all of your clients are professional members and are engaged and involved with results. So you not only are saying that and tell, and advising your clients that they're actually following through. So huge thank you to you. But, what you are doing is you're doing them a big favor and a service, because when you think about resolve, we're a nonprofit organization I'm not a marketing organization we 're not about click throughs and eyeballs and and that sort of thing. People like you are advising clinics on marketing and patient experience and how to provide the best care and grow their business if grow their practice if that's what they want to do and to have you know have a presence out there think of resolve as you know the philanthropic entity in our space you know i know in the cancer arena there are many cancer organizations and oncologists and cancer patients you know philanthropically support those organizations resolve is is the, that's what we are the infertility space. So despite you know all the marketing needs that you might have, look at us as a philanthropic give. I don't know where in your budget that's going to come from. In some practices, it actually does come from a marketing budget. In some it does not. But I would really challenge practices to think about what are you doing philanthropically for your community that you serve. And by investing in Resolve in a philanthropic way, you are helping the community that you're serving in a completely different way than what happens in the four walls of your medical practice. And so I would just acknowledge that your patients have a lot of needs and have needs beyond what you may be providing them And an organization like Resolve. Is helping to do that. Whether that's about advancing access to care, whether that's raising public awareness about the disease, whether that's responding to the media, the national media, with accurate information. You know, we are representing the patient voice at the WHO, at a lot of organizations and entities where patients deserve to have a say and deserve to be able. And so, does that sound important to you as somebody who is in this space and and gets up every day and is helping people I would think so. So, you know, do you do charitable donations to your college, to other you know, maybe you're into the arts. Think of resolve as part of that philanthropic give that is coming from your practice and your own wallet and what is that going to be and make it happen every year. Look, if if every practice in the country looked at Resolve in a philanthropic light and contributed based on, you know, your your the number of IVF cycles you do or the patients you see, you know, gosh, Griff, what if every practice said, you know what, for every patient that we do an IVF cycle for, I'm going to donate five dollars to Resolve. Doesn't sound like much. Patients are paying fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. You're going to maybe donate five bucks, ten bucks for every IVF cycle that you're doing. Do you realize that? That would be an amazing amount of investment in our organization that could make a profound difference in how we move this disease forward from an awareness and an access perspective. So that's the kind of challenge that I'd like to put out there and how I would like to kind of turn the view of how people look at Resolve and how they look at their investment in the work that
2: we do. Well, let's explore this a little bit because I talk a lot about philanthropy on my personal personal Instagram and personal social media, not so much on my Fertility Bridge channels or on this show. But I do talk a lot about business development, like community-focused business development. You're really making a distinction. Marketing is one lens of looking at it. Philanthropy is another. I think that unless someone is making... A donation from their their own personal bank account, especially if they're not a pass-through entity, if, if their company isn't a pass-through entity, and they're making it anonymously. Unless they're doing that, that is really hard to draw exactly where the line is between business development and be, between philanthropy. And I think it's nice that... And I think people sh- should donate Philanthropically to a number of different things. I think when it's in your line of business, though, that it's really it it, it just is business development. Unless you're like straight up doing it anonymously, because my philanthropic endeavors. Our nuestros Pequeños Hermanos, which is the organization that I volunteer with uh, in Latin America. And some people from the field are even coming down with me for my next trip, which I'm so pumped about. And Big Brothers, Big Sisters. But they have nothing to do with how, with, with how I build my business or the clientele that I serve. And so that really is something different philanthropically. We also contribute to Resolve. And I don't think that it's out of it's not out of something that it's like, hey, I'm doing this just for attention, but it does also serve my business to do that. Just, it's not like, oh, I do this one thing and I get this one client. That's a really crappy way of looking at community-oriented business development. But rather, I just know by the nature of human beings and by the nature of group function that by contributing to the community my status in the community raises. And that leverages better business opportunities one way or the other at some point. And, and because I'm a marketer, the case that I often make to my clients is one that is future value focused. Because as a marketer, if I don't return my value, I get my head chopped off immediately, constantly I have to prove my market value. And so when I make the the case for Resolve, it's one of like, this is this is the town square. This is a group that has already gathered the community for you. You have the opportunity to serve them, which ultimately benefits you and, and can even benefit you from a business level. Anyways, and, and, and I'm making this distinction, Barbara. I'm harping on this a little bit because what I've heard from people sometimes and I don't know if you and I have talked about this or not. I've definitely talked it with, about it with Rebecca, but I've heard it multiple times. And I've heard it from tend to be smaller groups who say, why should we do anything with resolve? They get the big donations from these big groups and they, they, you know, and those big groups, because they're the ones that, that have like these bigger sponsorships are the ones that get X level of attention or whatever back from resolve. And I'm, Pointing out to them that that's asked backwards, that you have the opportunity to serve the community. And by doing that, that's what raises your status, not the other way around. So it's like, here's your opportunity to gain. And here are the people that have already gathered the community together for you. And then people talk about you in support groups. And the one person that was going to write an online that a bad review ends up writing a good one. The one person that was never going to refer you ends up referring you. Uh, and the people that were going to drop out end up doing that one more cycle that get them successful. And all of those different things that do have a business aspect. So yeah, I guess, you know, I've, I've just given a hodgepodge of what I think of that nexus, but how do you see the community good, which you've described as, philanthropy versus like just the natural business development benefit that comes for people that do that
0: if i could hit on a couple of the points you brought up first of all
2: because i brought up eight in one in one
0: yeah (laughs) and i i I, yes you did so let me see if i can hit on some of those (laughs) we do have opportunities for people to sponsor certain things for example we have a gala in New York. We have National Infertility Awareness Week. We do Walks of Hope. We have Advocacy Day and we have sponsorship opportunities. And some of them are $5,000 and some of them are you know higher than that. And, and some of them are less than that. And so if an organization is going to choose to sponsor one of those, I'm going to thank them. I'm going to put their logo on and I'm going to thank them. We have opportunities for people, for companies, for clinics, to sponsor some of our events, to sponsor maybe a section on our website. And we're going to put that company's logo and we're going to thank them. But we're not about, you know, thanking and promoting people or clinics or companies just because, you know, they are big or whatever. So there's an equal in my mind, there's an equal playing field. If you want to participate, we're going to provide opportunities for that. But I will say we have a lot of smaller practices that have really engaged with Resolve in ways that are unique to them and ways that really impact their organization. For example, we have a practice in Connecticut that really supports our federal advocacy day. And Griff, you've come to Washington. You yourself have advocated on Capitol Hill. And this particular practice does a tremendous amount of outreach to their patient community to get them to send letters to their members of Congress. And then they always have a couple of their staff who come to advocacy day, and they hand deliver and bring all of those letters from their patients. And they do all these really cool outreach programs in their community leading up to Advocacy Day. And what a cool project. What a cool way for a practice to engage with their community, to engage with their, their patients, to show their patients, hey, we are you know, walking the talk. We're going to show up. We care about you so much. We're going to be going down to Washington, D.C., and we're going to be fighting for your, for your issues. So that's a way that they are providing tremendous value to our mission. And it's not even a huge financial contribution to resolve, but they're having a really positive impact on their patients. And like you said, there's a business side of that that probably is making a lot of sense as well. So if there are opportunities for a practice To get engaged with one aspect of Resolve's mission, we're there to help you and to make that happen. It doesn't matter how big or how small you are. But if you're just saying to yourself, you know, all you do is, you know, promote these organizations that can sponsor all these big events and we can't do that, then there's no place for us. That's the wrong conversation. And we've done a poor job of explaining our value and our value proposition to you and why investing in Resolve is not only a smart move for you from a philanthropic perspective, but on, as you say, on the business side, how that's going to impact the patient community that you serve. I don't really know if I answered your question, but I do want to emphasize that there are many ways that practices of all sizes support and engage with Resolve and our mission in in a very impactful way.
3: Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a A couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person. Before you put out an RFP or look for services, before you get your house in order, because by definition, this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world, and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out, it's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned, and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic it's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes there is no downside to doing this for your practice only upside now back to inside reproductive health
2: You've already given them something to offer their patients for free that patients def- desperately need, and that's the the all of the online support groups that in-person peer support groups, all of the resources for both peer groups and professionally led groups. And that is something that people are really hungry for in general. And something that still, when I talk to most of those people to this day, and I ask them, how did you hear about your group? It was not from their clinic. And I ask them, okay, what resources did your clinic give you about support? Almost always, they say nothing. And I know it's because they're, they're, part of the reason is because they're getting so much darn information that they might there might be a, a pamphlet in there there might there might be something that some clinics are trying but I still think there's a lot of clinics that aren't and I think part of the reason for that is that. Barb, people are so terrified that people are going to talk trash about them. They're afraid of it about online. They're afraid of sending people to groups because what, what if they're saying something? I hear so many people say things about fertility IQ that I like, do you not understand what fertility IQ is because they're just so worried about people talking trash on them that it's a But we're human beings. Everybody talks trash at some point. Everybody gets trash talked on them. It is a net-net game. Do you have more people advocating for you than talking trash? And do the other people have less people advocating for them than talking trash? And if you're a person that says, listen, we just want you to have access to all of these resources, you are on a journey, and there are are things that we can help you with, and we're going to do everything in power to help you with the things we, we can and the things that we just can't help you with, and we at the very least want to give you these resources and let you know about them. If you are sending people to resolve support groups, for example, that way, I know of so many people that got their second clinic, the one that they ended up being happy with, because they were in a group and somebody said, and they were just like, you know, I, I've had to find this group on my own. I'm just not jiving with the people that I'm at right now. So if the concern is, that people are going to talk trash well they're going to do that anyway so that but but the flip side of that is there was somebody else in the group that says well i'm really happy with my group they 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 told me about this they do all of these different things guess where that first person went after that and so i think if the concern is people are going to talk trash they're going to do that anyway you have a binary option of am i going to Overserve people or underserve them, and uh, using resolved, already existing, mostly free resources is a great way to help overserve patients in ways you might not be already.
0: Well, you said it, and I don't need to repeat all of it. But I agree with you hundred percent. And I will. I hope that your listeners hear me when I say this. We hear from patients over and over and over the anger. They have with their physicians because they did not tell them about Resolve, because they did not tell them about resources that were out there. And just, wow, they knew, you know, I wasn't in a place to know everything I needed to know. And why didn't they tell me? And so that is just, that's an easy one. Hey, easy, easy, easy. Tell every patient about the resources you imagine you walk in for a consult, or you walk in for your first appointment, and the nurse, the, the physician, the people you interact with say, hey, we just want you to know that there is a community and an organization specifically for you. It's a nonprofit. It's called Resolve. They are nationwide. They're in all these communities. We really support the work that they do. Here's how to find them, resolve.org. And oh, by the way, they have support groups and they have a number of ways that you can get involved. I just can't even imagine the positive difference that that would have on a patient experience at a practice if that was told to them. Look, I'm going to tell you a personal story. I saw a mental health professional during my infertility journey. And I'm not kidding you, every week that I went to her, she kept saying, have you contacted Resolve? Have you reached out to Resolve? Have you? I mean, she was beating me over the head with, you need to connect with Resolve. And number one, she was right. And number two, look, I mean, I, you know, it changed my life. And I am so grateful to her. And I have sent so much business her way because she was amazing and helped me. But she didn't keep it a secret. Why should all these medical practices? And if they think that Resolve support groups are the only place in the world where somebody's gonna hear good news or bad news, they are, as you said, sorely mistaken and, and flip it over. And you know, here's the thing: have the attitude of we're great. We're we're providing great service and we're gonna let our patients know about all these resources out there, including Resolve, and so be it but we stand by who we are and and continue to provide great service. So that's how I feel about it.
2: Well, let's talk about what that great service means going into the future. I just had Jamie Metzel on the podcast. I'm not sure if his episode will air after yours or before I just interviewed him yesterday, but we really long-balled and talked about just, just how assisted reproductive technology is becoming and will become the primary, if not exclusive, method for human reproduction and what that means beyond serving People who are who now come with a, a diagnostic diagnosis as a result of infertility, but really expanding the rest of the population and other groups that that we serve now that are in need of art, such as same-sex couples and single women and fertility preservation that is not oncology related and all of these things coming down the pipeline. How does Resolve adapt in five years, 10 years? I know I, I don't have a 30-year plan because it's so freaking far out, but... What do you what do you think?
0: Well, it's a great question. And that's why nonprofits have to be uh, constantly looking at the landscape, whatever field they're in, have a strategic plan that is, you know, used to be strategic plans in nonprofits for like five or ten years. And you know, you know, a three-year plan is is like the maximum. Interesting, you should ask, because result is right now undergoing its next strategic planning process, as will be ASRM. ASRM will be undergoing a strategic planning process at the beginning of of 2020. They've started it now. Resolve is also right in the process of doing that. So I don't anticipate our board of directors coming up with, you know, a, a radically different mission or focus for Resolve. But I do think we need to think about things like especially elect, what I call elective egg freezing planned egg freezing whatever whatever the the term is going to land on because that growth over time is going to be really significant and now your those, those those women are accessing the same limited practices and the same you know seats in the waiting room and I worry about capacity. I brought this up to several people and there doesn't seem to be a lot of concern. So maybe I'm, I, I shouldn't be concerned. But how do we as a community support people who are accessing care because of a medical condition and are in a very different frame of mind than the people who are doing planned egg freezing, for example? You've got them commingled within the same practice. Uh, are, is is one of them hurting or helping the other? Are our waiting lists getting longer or costs going up or costs going down? How, how does that interplay happen? And then what are gonna be the needs of that infertility patient in accessing care and getting support? Are they gonna be pushed out or are they gonna, you know, are we gonna see a real split like we're starting to see now, Graph, with clinics being exclusively You know, planned egg freezing, and then, you know, if you're on the IVF infertility side, you go in a different door, and if you're on the planned egg freezing side, you go in you go in a different different door. You go down the street. So it'll be interesting to see. And then, how does all this interplay with access happen? Because look, we're not. I get I get beat up here at Resolve because I'm not out there fighting for insurance coverage for planned egg freezing, and I'm like, I can't even get the cancer patients to get insurance coverage, you know? I mean, there's somewhat of a process here where you you think you'd start at, you know, the lowest hanging fruit and and how we can get coverage, you know, for certain populations before we get others. And so I do think that if if planned egg freezing really grows, those folks are gonna be demanding insurance coverage. And how is that gonna impact the access that folks like that need IVF for a medical condition have never even been able to get. So these are all questions that I don't have answers for. I do agree with you that you and I sitting down to talk five years from now could look very different. And so I think we have to be just flexible as organizations. We have to be relevant and we have to be able to adapt and to change and to you know, one of the things about nonprofits is know your audience, stick to your core mission. We do that really, really well. And so Resolve will always be looking at who is our audience, who are we serving? And are there people that make sense for us to serve? And if so, what, what does that look like? So all I can say to you is that I think we will continue to look at everything with a lens of how can we be relevant? How can we play a role? And how can we advance the ball? And if we don't feel like we're the right organization to help a certain group of people, we're not going to. Why would we? But where we can be of most value, we're going to be there.
2: So how do you, and I don't mean the collective you, I mean, you, kulura and I don't mean should, I mean, actually do, how do you balance the... The visionary planning and reflection and thinking of the future value proposition of resolve versus your all the day-to-day responsibilities for you have and the pragmatism. Do you, Barb Kalura, ever unplug because i know when i send you a text i'm getting a message back whenever i send you an email and i get a vacation responder from you i'm like that doesn't matter i'm gonna get a response from i'm gonna get a response from barb in three two here it is so i don't see you ever unplugging i see you jumping on every single thing because you have so many things so how do you as the CEO, prioritize? And do you ever just unplug and say, you know what, I'm going to go to a cabin for five days and and just let all of the stuff in my head come out and say, here's priorities one through four, and this is how I'm going to safeguard and make sure they get done versus the day-to-day reality of having to deal with all of the details that come to you?
0: well i did take a two-week vacation this summer which i have not done in about 12 years and i went out of the country and i pretty much unplugged so i will tell you it was awesome because not only did, was I, you know, really in the moment of where I was, but I came back, you know, very refreshed. And I think that that was important. So I do unplug. One of the things that I actually, it's funny you you talk about unplugging because I sometimes feel like there's so much grift. I'm sure you feel the same way that like I need to keep up with. Like, oh my gosh, there's blogs I need to be reading. There's articles I should be reading. You know, there's all kinds of different things. And and remember, I'm not just talking about in my, from where I sit, I'm not just talking about what's happening in the fertility reproductive health space. I mean, I run a nonprofit, so I'm trying to keep up with fundraising know-how. And I went to a class last week here in D.C. on how do you do value assessment of, in, in healthcare. And there's just so much out there that I need to know about and I need to learn that I don't know about. So sometimes I just have to just say, I'm going to read about something completely different. And so I think it's really important. I mean, you talked about some charities and some organizations that are really important to you that are outside this space. And I have the same. And I, you know, I try and read for pleasure, not for, you know, not the latest, fertility book that somebody has written. And you know I'm here in Washington and I'm a real political junkie. So I do, believe it or not, find that entertaining and of interest. But it is a a change in an evolving space. And I'm certainly not going to be the person who has all the answers. I've got a great team. I've got a great board. I have amazing corporate partners. And we all really trust each other and we talk to each other. And I think that that's a key part of running an organization is ensuring that you surround yourself with a lot of really smart people and people that have expertise that you don't have and that you're a good listener and that you know you don't look at yourself as the smartest person in the room you look at there's a lot of people who have something to say and i want to be the one who's listening and putting all those pieces together.
2: So Barbara, how would you conclude with uh, of how the field is changing with where Resolve has come from, where you want to go, with what you need help with right now, given that you have a number of people that work in the field, a lot of practice owners, a lot of physicians, some nurses, a lot of practice managers. How would you want to conclude with them?
0: Well, without sounding like a cliche, I instead of a practice saying, you know, what can resolve do for me or what can resolve do for our organization, flip it around and say, what could we be doing for resolve? When I look at the practices across the country that are most engaged with us and the companies that are most engaged with us, that's how the conversation starts. How could we be helping resolve? What do you need in our state? What do you need in our community? What role can we play? And that begins a really wonderful and exciting conversation. So I would challenge people out there to think about that. And call me, email me. Our door is open. You you don't even need to know my name. You can just email info, I-N-F-O at resolve.org. And it'll get to me and just say, you know, what could we be doing for Resolve? And how could we be helping the mission of resolve and and the community we serve? And that opens the door to a fantastic conversation. I would also just say that our board is very laser focused on access to care. The status quo for our community is not acceptable, and I can't sit here in five or ten years with the same set of circumstances for the community that we serve. You know, if that's the case, we should have a whole new leadership at Resolve because we're not doing our job. So if you care about access, join our efforts. But also for those of you who are afraid of more patients having access to your services, I want to talk to you about that because we hear that. I think it's completely unfounded, but I want to be a partner with you in talking about that. And look, There are a lot of companies out there that are going right to employers and working on on coverage and benefits and Resolve is doing it as well. We're doing it legislatively. We're doing it talking to companies. The landscape is changing and we are going to have more and more and more people demanding coverage from their employers and people demanding this of of their legislators. So, Let's not be afraid of it. Let's figure out a way to work together. And I think that that's the only way, Griff, when we all are gonna be working together, that we're gonna see some really amazing positive change happen. And we'd like to be, you know, really at the forefront of that at Resolve.
2: Ms. Barbara Kalura, president and CEO of Resolve, the National Infertility Association. Thank you for coming on Inside Reproductive Health.
0: Thanks for having me, Griff. You did great work